Welcome back to another episode of Everything Aviation Podcast. Welcome to Season 2. Thank you for all the support over the last season. My name's Mikey, and we have some awesome interviews coming up for you this season. On this episode, we talk to Danny Roach. Danny is a flight instructor, micro pilot, and an author. His book drops on Amazon on the 22nd, which is tomorrow, so please head over and check that out. All that is for you to do now is sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Hey, Danny, great to see you. Yeah, yeah, good, cheers. How are you? I'm not bad, no, not bad. A bit of flying and keeps me happy for a bit. How about yourself? Yeah, well, yeah, same for me. The, weather, the weather's not been so great this week, though, um, but it, was, it wasn't too bad at the weekend, so we got some flying done then. Brilliant. So just a quick introduction to the listeners at home. Danny is a author and a microlight instructor. Um, one thing what I have in common with Danny is that we flew the same aircraft. I got about 15 hours on the same aircraft. Danny's written his first book on, uh, which is getting launched uh, very, 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 very soon. Um, so it's, it's fantastic to finally talk to someone who's also flown this, this type of aircraft and has some of the similar experiences. So Danny, how it's probably a question I ask everyone when they come on. How did you get into aviation uh well, i guess it was always something i wanted to do uh, mikey i when i was a kid um i always looked at the sky and i always wanted to be in the raf and i watched all the all the programs on bbc and i made model planes and went to the air shows um and then when i failed to get in the raf for medical reasons like like a lot of people do um that kind of all got put on hold that that pilot dream for a bit in real life kind of stepped in for a bit get a job girlfriends go out to the pub um and and then it wasn't until probably my mid mid 30s that i got the chance to kind of get back involved again and i'd started to do a bit of gliding Brilliant. i was living in stafford at the time um and I did, I did a bit of gliding with the cadets when I was younger as well, but uh, I, I started to do some gliding at Seifert. At, uh, I think it's called Staffordshire Gliding Club. I can't actually remember now. Um, but uh, and, then, and then that kind of got put to one side as well again as real life stepped in. And then eventually when I was, I guess I was about 38, my brother, my younger brother and his wife bought me a voucher for a uh, 737 flight simulator experience uh, at Coventry Airport. And uh, so I, I went down there to do that um, and got the guy next to me, the instructor, was always like, oh, you're a natural and everything. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure you say that to everyone who sits sits here. Um, but, you know, it was good fun. He, he was like, where do you want to fly? Do you want to get to Kitak? Do you want to do this? And I was like, I just want to do circuits at Manchester Airport, if that's all right. <laughs> so... So that's what we did. We did circuits at Manchester Airport, um, and it was it was good fun. And that sort of re- reignited that desire to fly. Um, and so then I went to Barton and uh, and asked about flying lessons. Saw microlights, realised what they were. Having always thought what a lot of people think, you know, that they're just it's just a kite with a lawnmower engine. Um, no, no disrespect to flexwing pilots, of course. Uh, but you know that was that was my perception, and it's a lot of people's perceptions, I think, from outside microlighting and. And, and saw the Eurostar and the C-42 and, uh, and yeah, and booked a lesson and, yeah, took it from there. Brilliant. I, I know exactly what you mean, though, when you say with the, the trikes or, um, or the, the flexwing pilots think that it's a deck chair with wings and an engine. I, I did that documentary with my dad, um, the real movies from the flying machines. <laughs> and the first thing that they, they opened up with the scene was it, it was a, a, effectively a deck chair with wings and an unreliable engine, which is, is not the case, you know, yourself. But um, I, I think microlikes is definitely way to go like you said it's an affordable way of flying that's why that's what you stumbled across which is fantastic and that's how most of us are doing it these days i think 
It's a very broad church, isn't it? That's what I like is you've got the flex wings and some of them are really advanced now, aren't they? And, and that's definitely on my bucket list. Um, but you've also got the comfort of a fixed wing with a heater and sealed cabin, not like mine, obviously. Um, but, but, you know, there, there is, there, there's quite a broad church there and they're going to 600 kilos as well. So I think it's, I think it's the way to go. Exactly. And uh, you, you can keep your, your uh, Group A licence up as well now with, with Michael Lyle Edwards, which yeah. is fantastic. Um, so that's the way forward. So then you... Also, do a lot of writing. I've read many an article written by you in in the Michael I uh, Flying magazine. So how how did you? Because that that's really opposite from from the flying side of it. So how how did you manage to to get into to writing and then start writing about ex- your flying experiences? Yeah, that, that's good because uh, if you ask my English teacher at school, she wouldn't have put me down as a writer. Um, no, I, I it was a, it was sort of something that, uh, I developed later in life, and it, I. I basically, when I was learning to fly, I realised that I got a lot out of reflecting on what had happened in the lesson, and so I started a diary. Um, I'd read a few books that I bought off Amazon or whatnot by people who'd done like a flying diary. There's a few of them out there. I can't remember them all now that I'd read, and and I thought it'd be nice for me to keep a memory of my experiences, but also to write things down while they were fresh in my mind so that I could reflect on them. Um, and then when I was doing that, it gradually got from just a pure sort of technical narrative, if you like, of what happened and what I did to sort of how I felt. And then I used to throw some anecdotes in and it kind of grew from there. It was quite relaxing to sit down with a pen and a notebook in the sunshine when we get it. Um, and, and to sit down and write that stuff and, uh, and just relax. And re- so you get the reflection, but it was just, it was just a nice way to spend a bit of calm time. So from there... I started to write, I wrote a couple of articles and actually the first one that they published in Microlite Fly Magazine, I'd written probably about two and a half years before that. And I'd written it and refined it and written it and refined it and I was quite happy with the story. Um, and I'd originally been envisaging keeping a few of these together and then making a book out of them maybe one day once I'd had some enough adventures as it were. But I, I, I didn't really know where to go with it and I didn't really know what was good and what wasn't. I was doing a bit of a blog and that was getting a few hits now and again um, and, and you know some reasonable feedback sometimes and so I just sent one off to Jeff at the magazine Jeff Hill and said this is this is what I've written you know can you give me some feedback what, what do I need to improve how should I do this and he was just like yeah it's grand we'll, we'll publish it next month but actually it's a bit long so we'll have to split it over two issues because I can't really see how to cut it and I was like oh, okay <laughs> and then yeah I sort of went from there and wrote a few more and that's that's how it all started. Brilliant. So you, you didn't do any any writing until you got into into the aviation side of it. No, not at all. No, it was uh, I, I, well apart from complaint letters. I knew I was good at them because you, you just have to push the right buttons of these big companies if you want your money back. Um, so I knew I was pretty good at writing those sort of letters. Um, but yeah, it was just never written anything like that, sort of creative, if you like, and just sort of trying to make things interesting to read. And so I started to read around about how to do that. And, uh, you know, how to show, not tell, and get an impact and, and that sort of thing. But no, I got a D in English at school. <laughs> I, th- I think that's uh, that, that's brilliant, like one turn of events. And to take on kind of like two new hobbies as well. So you've, you've taken on the, the flying and then automatically tied in a, a diary writing with it, which which is obviously gone to a lot more, but we'll we'll, we'll come back to, the, to that side in, in a bit. Um so give, give us a rundown of what your flight training was like then, your, your initial initial training. Um, where where did, you, did you do it in, in Barton and, and your, what aircraft you were using? Yeah, I was, uh, I was training at Barton. I learned at Maynard, um, who've got a fleet of C-42s and Eurostars there. I took my trial flight uh, and tried both. 
pick the Eurostar because it felt like getting into a fighter plane because uh, you had to climb up on the wing um, and you've got that great canopy and you can see what you you know where you're going and everything. So yeah, um, uh, that was the decision and. Uh, uh, the, the training was was brilliant. I, I'd made a decision. I was going to try and fly twice a month, you know, because that was what I could afford at the time. And then quickly decided that's what credit cards are for. Um, so just 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 I was flying four or five times a month in the end, um, and just wanted to, to, to you know to really get not get through it, but you know, but really build on experience and not have the big gaps and stuff where you've got to relearn stuff. Um, apart from when the weather interrupts, um, and. So yeah, I started in the February, about a week and a half after this flight simulator experience, um, and then I went solo in the June, June the twelfth, um, and that was great because I had no idea that I was, you know, that, that, that I knew I knew I was in the circuit and stuff, and it was a great day, calm skies, blue skies, very little wind. Did a circuit session with Marcus, my instructor, and uh, and we just landed, and he took it off me, and I thought, oh, what have I done now? Uh, and, and then he sent me solo and it was great because I'd slipped this lesson in in the morning before work because um, <laughs> I'd looked at my schedule and I'd got a meeting in um, Salford Keys uh, and I was like, well, I can go and fly first and then go straight to the meeting from there. So in my first solo picture, I'm wearing a shirt and, and, and tie and stuff. And, and I went straight to this meeting afterwards with the client and said, I don't care what this meeting's about, I've just flown an airplane on my own. <laughs> That's brilliant, and you you had no inkling at all that you were you were going to go solo. You you just turned up, thought you were going to do a lesson. The next thing you know, bang, Marcus has climbed out, and you're left with this this yeah. Eurostar. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, you know, I knew I knew we were we'd been in the circuit a few times, but I think it was only one or two lessons before that I'd had I'd had a lesson that hadn't gone so well. Um, you know, I'm sure you know that yourself, and, and, and many other people have experienced that. And, and like, it, it was just one of the everything clicked. We did everything. We did all the circuits. We did. We did all the emergencies. Um, we did the different types of approaches. We did go arounds, and, and everything was fine. It was, the circuit was quiet, and the weather was perfect. And he just said, "I'm going for a cup of tea," uh, and, and he jumped out. And for a minute, I was just paused and just sort of like, and then it's just like, okay, checks, and then just went into it until I was off the ground. And then my first thought was, the wheels left the ground, and I went into the climb. Was no one save you now? Better, better get this bit right. <laughs> Um, and then, and then I was all right. No, I was, I was, I was fine because, you, you, as you know yourself, I was just focused on. I know what to do. Just do exactly what you've done before, all the way around. Except that I was singing on downwind. I'm glad That's... I'm not the only person that does that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was just singing. I was singing. Uh, it's a beautiful day by by the Levelers, and because uh, it was a beautiful day, and uh, and then the only time I stopped was I, I stopped to make my downwind call. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it's the same thing. I remember Simon jumped out of, of my one, and uh, I sat there for ages looking for something wrong with the engine, so I'd have to didn't have to go. And <laughs> in the end, I was sitting there thinking, right now I'm just paying for time sat at the end of the runway, so I need to start doing something here. So everything checked out fine, full power, got off. Like I said, wheels off. Didn't think of it because I was chatting to myself and singing and getting myself through it, and. Um, I remember thinking, right, 300 feet, flaps away, tidied up the flaps. And it's only as I got down to the downwind where I had, where I could take a second and look to the right and thought, there's no one else sat there and I'm flying a plane by myself. 
when I look at the video because Marcus ran up into the tower and videoed, videoed my landing and I remember back to it because obviously you always remember your first landing on your own and I remember thinking you know that was a really good landing, you know, I absolutely greased it. And I look back at the video now and I think, I don't think I've ever landed a plane as good as that since. You know, it's absolutely the most perfect landing I've ever done, I think. <laughs> I know that feeling because same thing, it landed, beautiful landing. And then ever since, I think I can count on the w- one hand how many times I've done one like it since. Yeah. <laughs> so then how long after going solo was it before you did a GST and got the firm handshake off of the instructors? Um, so I, uh, it was the end of the year when I did my GST, December, December the 15th, if I remember correctly, or it could have been the 14th, I think it was the 15th. Um, uh, so it was about 10 months from start to finish of me cramming in as much flight time as possible. Um, and we actually got to the point, I was probably close to uh, GST a little bit before that, but then we were Manchester, the Northwest, we had some weather and, um, we had some gaps and stuff. Uh, so I had to catch back up again and get, get back on it again, took GST ready, um, but yeah, that was that was the fifteenth of December. So I went solo in the June, so six months, six months um, or so. Uh, but it was yeah, it was it was great because I mean, uh, I did my radio license as well at the same time, like a lot of people do. So it was all you know at, at Barton they use the radio. It's a, it's a FISO controlled field, so you get used to it. And there's a lot going on there. There's the air ambulances, two of them, there's a police helicopter, um, six schools. Um, you know, and then all the private aircraft as well. So on a busy day, it, it can be quite busy. Uh, but it was a great environment to learn in. Yeah, it's kind of like throwing you in the deep end and and getting getting used to it because then you come to getting zone transits and everything like that, and they're they're natural naturally coming to you, which I'm I'm sure was a great help when you went for the instructor course also. Yeah, it, it, you learn in, in an environment where you're surrounded by controlled airspace. It's above it's above the Barton um, ATZ. You know, it's 200 feet above. Well, they've they've moved it down slightly now, but it, it, it was it was 1800 foot join, and the controlled airspace was at 2000 feet. So you, you know, you you're surrounded by uh, above and around controlled airspace. So you get very used to being precise. Um, and it's different for everyone. Everyone learns differently. My wife's learning, and you know, she's learning at, at Russell. And, you know, that's great for her because it's not her natural aptitude, but all she's got to think about there is flying the plane, you know, and then we can bring in all the other stuff afterwards when she's when she's ready. So everyone's different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like you said, it's all down to your different uh, aptitudes and stuff when we bring everything else in. And I think the most important bit really is, is learning to fly the aircraft first before introducing all that, which I don't think you had the luxury of. You were just thrown in from, from the get-go, really, on, on that one. Which, do you know what? is 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 fantastic. It's all, take my hat off to you, because I, I trained in, in Northern Ireland, and we had Aldergrove, but it was 4,500 feet of controlled air like above us, so you could go yeah. all the way to 3,999.9 feet and still not be in it, um, which is... I, I, I don't myself personally I don't like going that high um, especially in the Michael it takes ages to get there um, I'm more of a hug the ground kind of guy so then this is this is where it gets it gets fun so you've you've got your license you've got the firm handshake from from the instructor and you are now looking for an aircraft so how did you come across the Cyclone AX3 well, it wasn't straight away. I eventually, initially, I hired the aircraft from the school, um, so they have a big fleet, um, and so immediately I, I couldn't afford to buy an aircraft. Um, and having just put max my credit card out with getting the license, um, 
you know, uh, but it was great to be able to go on straight to higher aircraft that you'd learned in. Um, so the first thing I did was convert to the C-42 because they had more C-42s than Eurostars. Um, so then I, I could I could turn up and I could rent either, which was great because there was always an aircraft available pretty much. But after a couple of years, I, I kind of wanted more than a two-hour slot. Uh, you know, and uh, I wanted the flexibility to be able to stop or go somewhere or stay overnight if I wanted or, or whatever. And I don't know, that's that's why I started looking. And I'd read an article in Microlight Flyer magazine about the AX3, uh, Secondhand Secrets, it was called. And um, and I thought, wow, yeah, you can get an airplane for like, you know, the price of a family holiday. And, uh, and I was like, okay, tell me more, tell me more. Anyway, cut a long story short, you know, I ended up uh, on a fours. Uh, quite regularly browsing for these for these aircraft and, and this one popped up and it was just a shade over a couple of thousand pounds um, and I was like oh, why not what's, what's the worst that could happen you know so uh, I mean the story of that's in the book you know the detail of that but it was that was really where the idea for the book came as well was was kind of like how do you buy an airplane you know it's not like buying a car uh, what do you need to consider and, and, and how do you get insurance and you know and just, just all this stuff you know and, and they don't teach you that when you're learning to fly um, and, and I was looking and there was no real books or anything about that or, where anyone had described they were, all the air, air sort of PPL books were kind of like this is how I got my license you know I did this lesson this lesson this lesson then I passed then I went on some adventures you know or at the other end of the spectrum there are things like John Hilton's book about flying to Canada you know which is which is amazing right but it's not something I want to do in an AX3. Um, and I was like, so, you know, okay, I'll, I'll just start, I just started to write these things down again, thinking maybe I'd do something for the magazine. And, and yeah, it, that, that was how, that was how the book started. But the, I bought the plane and it was just fabulous. I went for one, one circuit in it. I'd driven down south, uh, down to the southeast to um, East Anglia. Um, and the weather was touch and go and it just cleared just enough for one circuit. And we went and did one circuit and it was mental. It was nothing like a Eurostar or a C-42. It, it was wishy-washy and it was blown by every gust and there's wind blowing in through every hole possible. And like, you know, it was just a completely different sort of sensation, but it was real and it just felt, it felt fabulous. So yeah, I bought it. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I, I just love the X3's character. Um, I've only flown the one and I've got about 15 hours on it. And I, I don't know if yours was the same. When you rotated and took off was there a split second where the seat just went because the gear came outwards and or inwards and it just kind of like the seat drops slightly um on, on the on the rotation yeah yeah i think there's something about having your your, your ass right on the bottom of the cabin floor basically because that was the other thing i noticed it's a lot lower and so when i was when i was learning to fly you know i did a, did a couple of hours with james who's the uh, the instructor at attitude air sports um, because, you know, he got tons of experience. All I've blown was modern microlights at cruise at 90, you know, and you've got you've got flaps and you've got different speeds for descent. You know, my, my X3, you know, climbs at 50, cruises at 50 and descends at 50. So, you know, there's, there's a lot less to think about there, but the round out is so low and that took a bit of getting used to. And when you round out, you've really got to be prepared to stop immediately, as you know, because as soon as you round out, you lose all that energy. It's kind of like straight down. <laughs> I love it. it. It it was just such a fun little airplane. Now, like you, you mentioned want, not wanting to fly to Canada in it. I didn't want to fly anywhere far in it because it wasn't fast. And it was if you were hour building, it was fantastic. But most of the evenings, I'd just pick a nice calm evening and go up and play over the airfield because it would take ages to get to fifteen hundred feet as it was. Um, so getting going anywhere in it uh, was was a proper adventure, and you'd spend days planning it just to get there and bring an extra fuel and everything. And did you did you find the same with your one? 
Yeah, I've had I've done both sorts of flights. I've done sort of pottering around, um, you know, the Fylde Coast near Morecambe and Not End and Fleetwood. It's just a wonderful way to spend 40, 45 minutes um, the, towards the end of the day when sun's sort of set in and you've got light winds and some fabulous views, especially if the sun's reflecting nicely off the sea. That's fabulous. But I've also been on some some reasonable adventures as well for, for a little AX3. I've been up over the Lake District and uh, to, to, to try it back and, you know, and that, as you say, try it back, it's, I don't know, it's probably near 40, 45 miles, something like that as the crow flies, maybe 50, I think it's about 50 miles from Russell. Um, and, and, you know, if you fly in a hot ship, it's like, yeah, big deal, it's 40 minutes. Um, but, you know, it took, took me like an hour and 20. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, it was pretty exciting at times because <laughs> you've got to be careful where you're positioning your aircraft when you're flying around the mountains as well. Um, so, but, you know, I, I enjoyed that, that adventure. I got there, I sat down, I had my picnic, I looked at the scenery around me, chatted to the airfield, uh, the guy, uh, Roger Savage, who runs the airfield there, um, I, I had a great time and then flew back and had an even more exciting flight back because the wind had picked up a bit. Um, but fortunately, I'd put plenty of fuel in so I could go around around the hills rather than trying to fly into them, uh, over them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, you know, that, that was, to me, it was a massive adventure. That was an all-day event. It was probably three hours of flying there and back. Um, and that, for me, should be a bronze award on the wings, but, but, but it's not far enough. So, you know, and that's something I need to speak to the BMAA about. You know, if you fly a small plane with, a, you know, a, a, a one of the lower sort of speed microlights, it kind of excludes you a little bit from some of those awards. They need to think of another way, I think, of addressing that, because 100 miles for a bronze award, that's nothing in a Eurostar. Yeah. So I think that's... the C-42, because you're looking at... Exactly. 100 horsepower strapped to the front of the aircraft uh, with a 912S, or even 80 horsepower in a 912, which is still mm-hmm. um, quite, quite impressive. I'm taking it yours was a little two-stroke, the same... Um, we, we had a uh, Rotax 582 in ours. Yeah, mine's a 503... Um, Rotax 503, 50, 50 horsepower allegedly, um, when, when it's on song. Uh, but no, it's, it's super reliable. It's lovely, touch wood. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's been rebuilt. It's had it's had uh, one seizure uh, since I've had it. Um, and I don't, God knows how many engines that aircraft's had. It's got 3,600 hours on it. Oh. Uh, it was a school plane. It was Paul Dewar's plane originally at Flylight. Oh, wow. um, in fact, the, Chris Koppel, who did my, who was the CFI at Main Air, who I did my GST with, he did his instructor test in that aircraft, in my aircraft. It's, <laughs> which it's is, definitely been which around is the cool house or so. It. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's amazing. It's it's been in some pretty awesome hands then, and been in some really yeah. really good and impressive hands. And now now yourself, you're you're just etching your name into the history of that aircraft, which is fantastic. And um, what I love about it is, is that you've you've put pen to paper now as well. So there is an actual history of, of that aircraft and your your time with it. Um, which that was is the genesis for the book. You know, not just my time. It was. I wonder who's flown this and what adventures they've had. You know, and and so that was where, as you probably saw on Facebook, I put plenty of calls out asking people, "Have you got stories or things you want to tell about?" You know, and and I've had some correspondence of people which is in the book and um, you know quite a few perspectives of people who've owned her people who've flown her people who've been a passenger um, and then you know and that, that was really where the genesis from the book came was like you know if, if this plane could talk I bet it would tell some stories uh, so yeah that's brilliant are you able to give us like a rundown of the book like what what can we expect for when that gets released on the on the 22nd yeah so it's it's <sighs> 
it, it was a bit of a fusion, really. It evolved, as I said. You know, I was writing these bits about how do you buy an airplane and, you know, how do you put an airplane together. You know, you're confronted with this this trailer of parts. Yeah, I didn't derig it. Someone else derigged it and bought it up for me. And then they give me this big airplane kit and, and, a, and, a, and a pilot's operations handbook, which the rigging instructions aren't exactly detailed. It says, rigging is the opposite of derigging. That's the rigging section. Uh, and, uh, and so, so you, you get that, and you, you've never touched one of these things before, and you're like, well, what do I do? How do I, you know, where does this go, and what do I do first? And so it was all a bit of a learning experience. Um, and so that's all in the book, and uh, some of the some of the rookie errors I made, um, you know, uh, you know, some of all, all of that stuff that you find out as you're going along, and then you know sort of the adventures that I've had or some of them, you know, the places I've flown and then, you know, as I mentioned the engine the engine failure, there's 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 a bit about that and is it the end of the road with the aircraft and what am I gonna do? How am I gonna get it back together? You know, I didn't want that to be the end of the story. In my mind, you know, the end of the story is eventually I'll probably sell Yankee Lima at some point to someone else. But I can't contemplate that at the moment. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> so, not when you're having so much fun with it, you know. Exactly, exactly. So I, I put all that together and I also thought, you know, well, there's not really a history of the type and it'd be good to get some of that in there as well. So I wrote a few letters and uh, managed to get in touch with a New York Times journalist who'd done an article 30 odd years ago about it and, 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 you know, got some feedback. Spoke to Bill Sherlock, who was the importer and got it approved by the CAA. Got some anecdotes and some stories from him woven in there, um, you know, and so it was kind of then trying to take all that history and that stuff from my story and the, and the anecdotes from other people and trying to weave it all together into a coherent uh, narrative and hopefully that's what I've done. <laughs> I'm, I have to say I'm very looking forward to it because like some of the experiences as well I've, I've had a, an engine hiccup in our one as well and um, yeah I've, decided, I've discovered I don't know if you found the same but she's a very decisive aircraft when the aircraft or when the um, engine decides to stop because instead of looking at a glide ratio of a C-42 or a Yornostar, you're looking at a field that's directly below you because that's now how she's flying like a brick. Well, I was I was a little bit more lucky than you. Mine didn't actually stop. So, uh, so, so yeah, but that was, uh, yeah, it needed rebuilding. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it, I won't, I won't spoil the story too much, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't as dramatic as that, the actually engine, engine stoppage, but yeah, was bloody hell it was difficult to diagnose um uh, yeah it was it was interesting time and it was it, you know it, it taught me things i didn't i didn't think i'd ever know and you know and and, and sort of the thing i like about the ax3 and the, one of the reasons the ax3 appealed to me was you can see everything and you can see everything that's going on and the, you know the bolts are in and the pins are in and you know and i uh, that, that was something that appealed to me because I'm not an engineer, as, as you'll see when you read the book. And, uh, and so, you know, I wanted to learn about aircraft and to be able to do it myself and to be able to, to have a go and fix things and, and fettle. You know, that, that's, in my, that's in my retirement plan, fettling. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely love it. So you, you, you've then, you've, you've got this aircraft, you're having amazing fun with it. At what point are you starting to, to turn your eyes to the horizon of, of becoming an instructor and sharing your passion with people? I think it was always on the horizon. Um, you know, I like I like teaching people. I'm a cadet instructor as well, um, air cadet instructor. And um, if it, if it wasn't for all the politics and, and and you know, I'd probably be a primary school teacher. But I don't think I'd put up with the with the head teachers and things. My wife's a teacher, and she she's coming always 
telling me these stories about the politics at schools. And I think, yeah, I had lasted about five minutes in that environment. Um, but yeah, I like teaching people things. Um, I've got apprentices at work. I like to you know, teach them things. And so that was always on the agenda. And when, when I, um, <laughs> she says I wouldn't even last two minutes. <laughs> when, when I, uh, when I, so once I got the license, I guess, you know, it, immediately in my mind was like, I think I'd like to be an instructor one day, you know, that, that, that'd be nice, you know, and um, my instructor at the time, he'd sort of trodden a journey that I'm kind of following now, he'd been um, very successful in, in whatever it was he was doing, but he was looking to get out of the rat race and do something he enjoyed, um, so he started part-time instructing, and then he went to full-time instructing and ditched, ditched his, his day job, and I guess ultimately that's something I'd like to consider, um, and so yeah, really early on, really early on. Brilliant, and so I, I remember reading an article actually quite recently about your um, experience, and you you went over to Gap Tallard in France to go and, and do the uh, the instructor's course. At what point did you decide this? I'm I'm, I'm going to go and do. It. I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to go over to Gap and I'm going to do it. Uh, it was last year. Um, I'd been talking to James at Attitude, um, at, you know, with Attitude Air Sports at Russell about doing this. Um, probably for six or, or eight months up until the middle of last year and he said well how serious are you about doing this and I said yeah very serious you know I've got I've got the money put aside I'd saved the money up um you know I was getting married last year though and uh, and so uh, so he said you know if, if you want to do it that I've got work you know you know there's, there's work here if you want to come and work here and you know we got on well, we get on well, um, we trust each other, and so that's a really important dynamic. So one of the first things I found out about that was, you know, if you're going to do an instructor course, you really need a sponsor, you really need someone who's going to mentor you after you've done the course, because the course is just the beginning. Um, and so James was willing to be that person, and that was great, because, I, like I say, we really clicked. Uh, so I looked into booking the course, but I couldn't I couldn't really do anything until at least January this year because I was getting married in October. We had a honeymoon. I had no more leave from work. Da, 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 da. Um, and so I looked into it and I was trying to decide whether to do it because Chris Coppel at Maynard does that course now as well. And I was trying to t- decide whether to do it there or whether to do it um, somewhere else. Um, and I really wanted to do it as an intensive course i wanted to focus on just doing the course i didn't want to do it over several weekends i didn't want to split it you know especially in the northwest the weather can be unpredictable so that kind of ruled out chris for me because i know what the weather's like in the northwest um i didn't really want to go across the northeast because i don't know the airspace there you know and uh, i wanted to give myself the best chance of success and so in the end i just thought it'd be nice to get a gap I think the other reason that I ruled out the northeast was again it, it, I couldn't do it as, as, as a one I don't think at the time or, or not for some time I can't remember I did correspond with John Teasdale on it um, in the end I thought it'd be really cool to go and fly in the Alps as well I mean you know that, 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 that's like two birds with one stone you know and, and I, I spoke to Marcus at, at um, uh, Pegasus about it and, and he was willing to arrange the course for me in the March and uh, so I booked the course yeah that, that'll do yeah brilliant um, and it was just fabulous. <laughs> I was just saying, you, you seemed like it was it was the best fun ever. Uh, reading your, your your article about it, and um, I've, I've did something I've wanted to do for for a while, and it was great to see because I didn't know anything really about the instructor course, um, what was entailed in it and everything. And reading your article really gave me a great insight into it, and I'm sure it gave other people insights into it as well. I read Michael I Fire. Can you give us a rundown of what your your course entailed? Yeah, of course, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, so, you know, I got out there at the start of March, um, 
and, and, and drove up there. I, I rented one of the flats in the village, uh, so I was staying local to the to the um, airfield, so that was great. And we were working, so there was another guy doing the course same time as me, but he was doing it on the flex wing. Um, and so we were kind of like buddied up in the evenings and we'd chat over a beer and go over presentations to stuff. And it was a combination of... Um, when we got there, the first couple of days, the weather wasn't great, actually, because the, the one thing there is sometimes the upper winds can, can prevent flying. But th- those are the only two or three days we lost there, three weeks. Um, and so we started with the ground school. Um, so we started to you cover all the ground school subjects in detail, um, not just enough to tick a box, but enough to answer a blank stare with a coherent answer from your students. Um <laughs> And, and that's that's the real trick, um, you know, and that's something I'm still practicing. I mean, I was always more comfortable with ground school stuff because for me, you've just got to learn it. You've just got to get your head into it and learn it. It's not like a practical thing. It's just there's no excuse for failing, a, you know, a ground school exam in my in my book. You know, just just learn it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so, you know, that was I really enjoyed that. And also the depth that we went into on the subjects it wasn't really covered in so much depth when you're learning to, to fly. Um so that was good. So you do all the ground school subjects, um, and and you practice and uh, practice presenting them back to your instructor, your course instructor, and they'll ask questions in the, in the style of a student, um, and expect you to teach them the answer. Um, and then they'll also ask knowledge questions as well. You know, which will just be, I'm asking you, do you know this? Um, uh, you know, so so there's so there's a bit of that. So that's good. And then the other things that we covered off were the briefings, the ground briefings. So that was the other ground element, which is how to stand in front of a, a whiteboard, which I've got now, um, and you know, and do a ground briefing for any of the any of the lessons. You know, to, for 10B for stalling, or you know, so you do them all in order. You learn them. You learn what you need to get in and the content and how best to explain it and draw it, and then you present them back to your course instructor and to your, 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 the, the other course attendee. And again, they'll ask questions and. So if you're comfortable talking in front of people, that kind of stuff is, is, is easier than if you're not. And if you've never picked up a whiteboard pen before you go, I would urge you to. <laughs> because you do a lot of whiteboarding and make sure you get some good pens. Um, <laughs> so that, that's, the, that's the ground element, really, of it, is how to do the briefings and, and, and how to do the, uh, the ground school. And then the flying, you fly every exercise. So... Um, you generally, once you've learned the briefing, you'll fly the exercise and you'll teach the exercise to the to the to the course instructor as if they were a student. So Marcus's student alter ego is George, and uh, George is pretty dangerous sometimes. <laughs> uh, it's like so, we're talking so, about that film Split with James McAvoy. It wasn't me; it was Patricia. <laughs> yeah. So, so George, George will try and kill you. Um, in fact, that was that was Marcus's opening gambit on the course was, you know, your student will try and kill you. Don't take it personally. Uh, uh, you know, and so we, you then fly the exercises and you teach them as they would be taught, and then you'll let the student practice, coach practice. They, then you'll let them just practice on their own. And you, the, the, during that phase, what you're really doing then is looking for fault correction. So again, Marcus would would make some of the typical faults you'd expect a student to make. Um, so that you can learn to recognise them and correct them, um, you know, uh, down to down to not centering the nose wheel on takeoff, applying full power, and not putting any rudder on, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, so you know, so so it's 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 really full on and intense. So you're working from we were working from eight in the morning till six at night most nights. Uh, sometimes we'd start a bit earlier if the weather looked favourable in the mornings. Um, and, you know, we'd, we'd fly when the weather was good and get the flying done, and then we'd fit the ground school around it. But they were pretty intense days. We worked six days a week, 
um, in fact, actually, one one week we worked seven days because we lost a day because of the no flying. So we, I think, I had a day and a half off in the, in the nearly three weeks. Wow, it's intense, but it's good. <laughs> I was going to say you must have been maxed out to the nines because this is, being an instructor, you need to be switched on all the time, so a, a full concentration. It was, it, it was the best three weeks of my life, apart from getting married and my honeymoon and stuff. Uh, but you know, it was it was just fabulous. I was flying, learning about flying, talking about flying, chatting to people in the evening over a beer about flying. And when I wasn't doing that, I was running, which I like. And I was up in the in the Alps. You know, I mean, it, you know, with beautiful scenery. I mean, what's not to like in a lovely French village with nice food? If I could get you to tell my missus like that, we might just sell a package holiday to Gap Tallard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely the answer. I'm telling you, it, it's just, it's the most stunning location. And I, I suppose, you know, if, I, if I'm picking, the only thing I was sad about was it, it got cut short because of COVID. Um, and, we, and I had to fly home a few days early, but at least I'd got the course the course content done. But I didn't get that last few days where I'd, I'd wanted to do some mountain flying with Marcus and, you know, some cool stuff as well on top of that. So... But, you know, come on, that's a first world problem, isn't it? (laughs) Exactly. The main thing is you went and you got that license under your belt. Did you find it strange switching from the left seat to the right seat? Because as an instructor, of course, you're going to primarily be doing lots of flying from the right-hand seat where the student or whoever's going up with with yourself would be in the left-hand seat. Uh, Not as much as you'd think. Um, I've flown aircraft with centre control column and control column between your legs before. So obviously, used to switching hands anyway. Um... And, and sitting from the right hand seat, primarily you're just getting you're just getting different different perspective. That's all. It's the same principle applies. The runway's got to be in front of you, not the spinner, etc. And so, yeah, it took a couple of flights for it to feel feel natural. I mean, the weirdest thing was flying the AX3 from from the right hand seat um, for the first time on my own because the choke's sort of up here, over here, the, the primer bulbs down here, you know, and, and like and the radio on mine's over there as well. So it was all a bit kind of like awkward and getting used to that. But when, if, once you've got someone in the left hand seat, you just get them to do that. It's like I'm an autopilot sometimes, I find. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then how did you find as well? Because you, you've, we, we've spoken about modern microlights and, and the AX3, which is a little two-stroke. How did you find after doing all your flying on, on the AX3, then jumping into, I think it's Sky Ranger Ninja, I think Gap uses. Yeah. How did you yeah, find exactly. it jumping into to something that modern and that high spec? Um, I, I liked it. I mean, I, like I said, I did my training on the Eurostar. I've flown the C42, then I bought the AX3. Uh, and I was still, even when I had the AX3, I was still hiring the C42 and the Eurostar for a while. I ditched that um, last year once I decided I was going for the instructor course because then I started flying in James's Eurofox um, and his Ninja as well that's there. There's a Syndicate Ninja that, that we use. Um, and so I'd done a bit of flying in that, but, it, you know, it's a lovely aircraft to fly. It's really nice, really, you know, comfortable, great field of vision, short field performance is great, you know, and it, it looks the part. Brilliant. Would would you definitely recommend it as as a training aircraft, or definitely for training the the future instructors? I, I really like it. I mean, you know, the the only thing for me that I find that I'm still working on, and again, I'm for a ninja pilot. I'm pretty low hour for a ninja pilot. I've probably got about twenty five, thirty hours in a ninja. Um, is is as an instructor, is just figuring out the best way to cover the control column and the and the throttle. Um, well, the throttle's not so bad because it's 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 over here. But you know, with that centre control column. And you've got you've got the, the the pilot, you know they've got their arm here and stuff. It's trying to figure out the best place to have, you know. And so normally I'd have my hand on top of the control column, um, 
but once the students are getting more advanced, I'm fine with a few students now who've done solo and stuff, you know, having your hand ready to grab the top of the control column without them realising it because you're trying to build confidence isn't an easy thing to do. So it's kind of like, you know, so I'm still trying to work out the best way to do that. You know, I kind of have my hands sort of near the bottom of the control column so I can just grab it um, if need be and, and, you know, basically you need full power and, and pull back if, if things are going wrong on the, on the landing. So... <laughs> <laughs> I love um, it. I, I do forget sometimes you need them little little tweaks and stuff as as, as instructors just to be ready. Because like you said, George will try and kill you, and you need to yeah. be you need to be ready to to counteract his 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 maneuvers yeah. basically. So the so the Euro Fox and the and the and the Euro Star, for example, with their individual control columns, I think that's a that's a nice setup. You know, because you've got the control column between. You know, as an instructor, you can be sat there and you can have your hand almost on the control column. You know, and, and the student can't even see, so that that's almost you know a, a nicer setup. Um, but yeah, the ninja, as in terms of handling and sort of how it feels, and the, the you know, the, it's really it's a really nice aircraft to fly. That's brilliant. I've had a little bit with, with Paul Dewhurst. I've got about seven or eight hours on one, and we did a few competitions. And I have to say, I, the more I flew it, the more I fell in love with it. And it was getting to a stage where I would have had to stop just flying it with him because I just wanted one all the time. Um, I just found it a little bit more slippery than a C-42. I found a C-42 is real forgiving and docile, whereas yeah. the Ninja was a bit more, a bit more sports car. It was like getting over yeah. over Corsa into a Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. The, the Ninja is cool. I mean, James has just built a new one, which is going to be primarily what I'll be teaching in. Um, which is it's. it's he spent a year building it now, near enough. Uh, probably ten months. I think he started building it in January. Um, you know, and it's it, it, he's an attention to detail guy, so it's beautifully, beautifully put together. So I'm really looking forward to flying that. I'd say that must be a beautiful thing when it comes out of the shop. That's going to be fantastic. Yeah. So it was way it was way the other day. So it's nearly there. It's just waiting for Paul, I think, to do the test flight. Um, and then and then then we're good to go. To I think we've got to do five hours um, flying before we can get the permit issued. Brilliant. I'd say racking up them five hours isn't going to take too long, judging by the, the passion you guys are talking about it already. And I know myself, if I had a brand new ninja sat there, I wouldn't be spending too long on the ground with it. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you came back from Gap Tallard. You had a freshly, uh, a, a fresh new instructor rating in your back pocket attached to your license. How long was it before you were working with Attitude Air Sports and teaching your, your first student? Well, it's, it's not actually that simple, actually, because I didn't do test air to a gap. Um, so when you do the when you do the instructor rating, you do have to have a separate examiner. You can't the same guy who instructs you can't examine you. Um, and there's only about seven or eight um, flight instructor examiners FIEs in in the BMAA. Um, so I came back with my test booked. Um, for the end of that week and then lockdown hit and we couldn't we couldn't do the test so there I was primed and ready to go uh, so I didn't do my test so I came back at the end of March yeah end of March 20, 20th of March something like that and um, I didn't do my test till the 9th of July uh, so I had a period of not being able to fly like all of us um, and then from it was mid-May wasn't it I think we finally got released to fly on our own yeah um, so then I spent quite a bit of time just, just getting back into the game, having not flown for a couple of months, and then I just basically went flying and taught myself, um, and just talked out loud as if there was a student there, um, and did that, and then eventually we got okay, the okay to fly with other people. So I did my exam with Graham, um, Graham Hobson at Northern Microlights, just just down from us at St Michael's. Um, passed. Um, 
which was a great, great feeling. <laughs> um, I'd flown there in the AX3, um, <laughs> did the test, and then the weather closed in, and <laughs> I was like, oh. And I rang James, I was like, I've passed, but um, I might be stuck here, so I might need to leave the AX3 here, you might need to come and get me. And then there was a little weather window, and I was like, oh, I'm out of here. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was great. And then um, we had a period, uh, obviously James is getting the other aircraft ready, and uh, I had to wait for my paperwork. It took the CAA two months to turn my paperwork around. Um, I think think they'd forgotten it, because when I, when I chased it, 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 it came within a couple of days. Um, so, yeah, so that, that wasn't the best, but I didn't want to chase them too. You know, so it, it was actually, uh, the rating was issued in, at the start of September was when it was issued. So I didn't start teaching till I think, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Oh, wow, so it was very, very recent. Yeah. <laughs> and are, are you enjoying it? Yes, yes. It's very tiring and very demanding, um, and I expected that at the moment with having a full-time job as well. Um, so I've kind of given myself a limit of, of no more than one day a week at the moment. So I have at least one day off from everything uh, and time to do other things. Um, but it, it's quite intense because you do the course, you, you know, you know, how to, you know the theory of teaching the lessons, um, you know how to fly a plane, uh, but you've got very little practical experience of actually teaching students at that point. And so, you know, that, I, I'm still quite early in that game. Um, but the people who've flown with me have, have, have expressed that they're happy and that they'd fly with me again, so that's good. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's still very much a learning curve at the moment, and I expect it will be for some time. I was going to say, it's really a sport that you, you never really... I, I take off, when, when I when I take off, I learn something new every every day, and I can imagine it's the same for yourself as well, especially with a new discipline to be doing and um, being so, like I said, concentrated and switched on all the time. Um what what's it like though when you finally sat in the right seat with a live student for the first time? How how did that feel, and how did it feel when it hit you that you were actually doing this? That you were an instructor. It was pretty exciting. I mean, I'm I'm quite an enthusiastic, excitable person. Um, you know, and I bring that to every area of everything that I do. And so it was it it was very very exciting. It was only like I say, it was only about four weeks ago, um, and. The weather was the weather was aligned, and I got the paperwork sorted. And, and James had some students. He was like, "Do you want to work Sunday?" And I was like, "Yeah." We spent we spent about the, the, the previous three days doing some build up. I flew with James. He pulled the power on me at every opportunity. Um, you know, we we practiced some lessons, um, and then I practiced teaching him circuits and takeoffs and landings. And I got to give my first engine failure, which was great. Uh, did an engine failure after takeoff on him, which was fabulous. Um, and, uh, and then he got his own back by doing the same to me on downwind. <laughs> um, so, so, no, that was great. We did really, really intense sort of build-up. And then on the morning of the day, I, I was teaching Tembi um, to, two, to two students, um, uh, both, of, both of whom are quite advanced in the syllabus. Um, and uh, except one has just changed aircraft. He's just changed. He's just bought his own aircraft. So he'd never okay. done 10B in his own aircraft. So that was going to be really useful. And the other guy is doing up to kind of almost GST prep um, and so I got up early in the morning took the Eurofox up and I taught myself 10B on my own um, and then and then just got my head in the zone got the aircraft out and then just went and did the same lesson again with the two guys um, and, and it was just yeah just lined up and it was just yeah wow you know this is this is all real and it, it was good though you know because just it just all it all worked <laughs> um, so yeah 
that that's fantastic and have you any any ambitions to to go any further with with the sport or are you happy now that you've just reached the the instructor's course um i never say never with anything you know I, I, this is where i am at the moment um you know i love flying i love teaching people i love i love our sport um one of the reasons i've written my book in the way that i have which you'll see is i've tried to write it so it's accessible to anyone not just pilots um uh, you know so th- it's really written in a way that anyone will get which might tempt people in um and and so yeah you know i'm passionate about all that stuff and so yeah i never say never you know i, I i'm still getting my head around the around, around where i am at the moment you know the next step is to, is to get skilled enough to uh, to go to go and visit marcus again in in, in france and uh, do the fi upgrade test and get the uh, get the r removed that, that would be brilliant and how, how long do you think it, you're, you're looking at before before you're at that that kind of stage I don't know. I mean, the, the, the rating is valid for three years. You need the minimums are, I think, eight months. You have to have been you have to have been teaching for eight months and a hundred hours. Um, it'll be when I'm ready, and when James thinks I'm ready, and when I think I'm ready. Um, but you know, I, I, I'll, I'm looking forward to hopefully doing that maybe towards the end of next year. Um, you know, depending on how much flying we get in and and so on, um, and, and how I how I develop, um, and then from there. You know, just just build the experience and, and have the, have the time. Uh, the next stage after that would be, I guess, full time instructor probably at some point. But you know, yeah, why, why not? You know, it's 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 a lovely thing teaching people. So why why not teach instructors one day? <laughs> I, I I love that. I can feel your passion from here, and I think it's amazing that you're you're doing exactly what most people want to do. If you're passionate about something, you want to you want to share that with someone else. And I love that you're so passionate about it and you're doing exactly that. You're sharing it with other people who, who want to also share the passion. Yeah, it's, 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 I feel quite fortunate, you know, to have got to a stage in my life where I could, you know, I could fly a plane, which I always wanted to do, you know, that was just number one. Um, and, you know, uh, and I've got my own plane. I mean, geez, you know, it's like it just you know i've got my own plane i mean that's just just amazing um and and so to be able to share that with friends and family has been great you know to take people flying and you know kids my niece my nephew um my 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 daughters you know just just to be able to share that passion but then to take it to take it to being able to teach people who want to fly is is really it's just just perfect it's the pinnacle for me and and you know i think ultimately as i say full time maybe one day it's a way of not doing real work isn't it you know <laughs> you can get paid i like to, that <laughs> you can get paid to do what you like doing <laughs> it goes back to that old saying really of uh, if you if you do a job that you love you'll never work a day in your life yeah and and you know i think there's an element of truth in that although i will say you know my first full day because uh, i i I flew on Saturday and I had uh, I had three three guys, one of which was a double a double slot. Um, so I was on it from eight in the morning till six at night, and I was absolutely shattered at the end, absolutely shattered. So although it's enjoyable, it's very tiring uh, because you, you you're focused when you're on the ground, making sure you're saying the right thing, you know, because you're teaching people to fly planes. You've got to get it right, <laughs> you know. There's no, you know, if you say something and it's wrong. That, that, that could have profound consequences. So you're really focused then, and then when you when you get in the aircraft, you know, you're really focused then, and then even if the student's flying, you're really focused then, and you're just, there's just no let up because you've got to be watching for faults, you've got to be watching for anything that, you know, and so it's just really intense. So whilst it's really enjoyable, it's really intense. 
Brilliant. Uh, do, do you know what? It goes back to that thing of if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And I take my hat off to you for, for going out and, and being so positive about it and loving every second of it. Well, I tell you, I, I do, and I, I'll tell you something. I, I was explaining to, to one of my students on Saturday, um, triangle of velocities, right? When was the last time any of us did that? I think mine was like 2012. <laughs> and so I started to explain it, and I realised I wasn't articulating it right. And I said, to, I said to him, I said, look, I'm really sorry, I'm not explaining this very well. Let me take it away, and I'll, I'll explain to you properly. The key thing you need to get from this, though, is, you know... Th- the principles of, you know, work out where the wind's coming from and your, your heading should be towards the wind, right? So it should be less than the, than the direction you want to be going in. And he was like, right, okay. So so we, we got the key principles. I was like, but that's that's a rubbish explanation and that's on me. So then I came back here. That's what's on the whiteboard there. I came back here on the, and on the Sunday morning. I spent Sunday morning drawing it up and doing triangles of velocity. So I woke up at four in the morning and thought, ah, yeah, that's it. That's what I was missing. That's how I explain it. And so then I drew it up here, took a photo of it and sent it to him. And then I, I put it on the Attitude Air Sports uh, page as well for anyone else who might want it <laughs> so that's the kind of thing if you get it if you get it wrong you've just got to say look this is going wrong but these are the principles I'll, I'll i'll get you the proper explanation when i've just had time to clear my head brilliant absolutely brilliant and what has been what, what's been your absolute favorite moment of of say flying before you became an instructor like is there a moment that has stuck with you that you thought you'd sit here you think and you automatically smile and go wow that was amazing or i can't believe i did that there's, there's a few moments, uh, leaving aside first solo, obviously. Um, I remember on one of my first lessons, uh, Chase, <laughs> I was on, I can't remember which lesson it was, five or six, and uh, my instructor, we were flying out and another one was coming back and uh, and Marcus was like, that's Chris, shall we go and get him? And he, he took control, we were sort of chasing each other around the sky and it was just brilliant, that was, that was a moment, because that was just, it's exciting, it's why you learn to fly, isn't it? Um, and and uh, another one would be... Um, I guess when I flew to Carnarvon, um, uh, and I rented, uh, I went and rented a C-42, and I took my girlfriend, well, she's my wife now, my girlfriend took her to Carnarvon, and we flew an hour and 20 minutes or something, an hour and 10 minutes, it was, wasn't very much from Manchester, and we, we landed at Carnarvon, and we, we had some breakfast there, and it was beautiful and sunny, and the weather was marginal in Manchester, you know, well, not marginal for flying, but just miserable, you know, generic miserable yeah. weather. And it was blue skies at Carnarvon, and I was like, this is what flying gets, you know. You can just go to somewhere that's better. Um, and and, and we, we, we had the breakfast there, and we came back, and we flew over all them bits that everyone goes goes past when they go for their North Wales holidays, you know, over Conway Castle and the Great Orm and, and Landudno Pier. And it was just, that was nice. I enjoyed that. Um, and I guess the other one, the other one really would be... Um, Taking my children flying for the first time, uh, that was that was pretty special, you know. Um, and then we were in the we were in the Eurostar, yeah, because I wasn't qualified in the C forty two. Then we were in the Eurostar, um, and that was that was a nice moment taking them all flying. That's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And um, so the, the final thing I've, I've got for you then is, is book wise, because you're pretty mad into the writing, also, which is we've mentioned, which is fantastic. Are we are we gonna see a a sequel to to Inside the Cyclone, or are we gonna see anything else about about any instructor stuff? Or yeah, I'm definitely not done with writing. Um, you know, uh, I'm. I mean, I've I've got an article in mind for the magazine. Actually, uh, I need to speak to Jeff about. Um, but I, you know, I love the writing, um, and you know, obviously focused on this book at the moment, but. 
when I was out at Gap, I kept a massive diary um, of everything that I was doing on my instructor training um, and everything that happened around it and all the COVID stuff as well that was going on, you know, which was on the back of our minds. I mean, the back end of our course, we had to we had to almost complete in like a speakeasy because um, we were just, we weren't allowed to go to the airfield. Um, you know, we'd done the flying, fortunately, but we still had some ground school to do. So we were sneaking around from flat to flat and uh, trying to trying to finish off this ground school. Um, so I've got all I've got all loads of words around that, and then kind of the, the journey after that, you know, with COVID, of like, oh, I couldn't do my I couldn't do my test. Um, so I've built up a whole story and a narrative around that that I think I'll be I'll be writing up as a, as, a, as a. It will be a sort of a. It's not going to be a. This is how to become an instructor book, and you'll get that when you read from my other book. You'll get the kind of style. I mean, you've read my articles. It's it's more going to be written from my perspective, but it would be useful for people who want to become an instructor because there's nothing out there about how it's, it's like a. It's like a covert, secret sort of society. How do you become an instructor? Um, and and so I think it'd be nice to have a microlight book about out there about it because if we can get more instructors, young instructors, then you know we'll we'll encourage more young people and it will grow the sport. I think. Hey, exactly, yeah. and I love I love taking the GoPro with me whenever I fly or sending stuff into the the magazine myself. And just like you said, if we can promote it to, to younger people, everyone thinks it's it, flying's not accessible. But it is, um, especially with microlights and the way you, you said you found out what they were and was like, oh, wow, it's not what I was expecting. And yeah. it just goes from, from there. And I think it's amazing to see, like I said, we need more young people in the sport to, um, we, we, we can make it grow. Yeah, definitely. And I think if, if you think about it now, if you, if you only want to fly with one other person, why would you fly Group A? There's just, just, you know, it just doesn't make any sense, especially with the 600 kilos. Just, just doesn't make any sense. Our aircraft are faster, more modern. Uh, I've probably got much better avionics, <laughs> you know, are more fuel efficient, and they look better. <laughs> so. Exactly. I remember. Um, oh, we were talking about going to the Isle of Wight one day. There was myself and my um, my ma- my mate Rob, who who I do a lot of flying with, and we were heading over to Sandown. And it was a fellow with a 152, and he was like, "Oh, I don't know if I'd feel happy going across the Solent in that." I was like, well, I'd rather my 912 over your 1960s Lycoming that you've got in the front of that thing. So um, definitely, like you said, they're more modern, they're quick. And personally, I think a C-42 or a Eurostar or something could, could outfly a, a 152 any day. Yeah, I mean, I've had I've had experiences in the GA aircraft. I even got part way to doing my lap up, but but cut, got cut off by the time limit. Um, you know, and and you know, the tail dragger Citabia I was flying was great fun, you know. But it done half it done half burn a lot of fuel, and and you know, I don't know. I, I like all aircraft. Any sort of flying is brilliant. But if I had a choice, you know, I'm, I'm going with a high performance microlight every day. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And um, so your book's called is Inside the Cyclone. And yeah. I believe that is out tomorrow. Yeah, it's available for pre-order on Kindle now, which will get delivered to your to your uh, device in the next four or five hours because I think it goes at midnight. Um, and you can order the book. You can order the book now, the paperback uh, for delivery. Um, I, I think it's been available since yesterday because I made it available um, so that you could get it on the twenty second if you wanted. Uh, so yeah, that's that's all there, ready to go. I've given you the link before anyway for that. So hopefully, a few people read it. Hopefully, some people will give me some good reviews. I have to. I'm very looking forward to that coming in, Dan. And um, it, it, should, it should be a really good read from what from what you've you've said to me. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. It's a great to get. Like you said, there's not a lot of stuff about there from from an instructor's point of view or how to become an instructor. So it's amazing to to finally actually sit down and talk to an instructor about their journey. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm still at the start of the journey. I mean, you, you know, but hopefully by the time I get to write the book, because I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch on that book probably for a year or more yet. Um, you know, hopefully I'll have some more stories, and you know, and I'll have taken the journey to, to, to the FI level rather than FIR as I am at the moment. And you know, it'll be a nice story of this is how you become an instructor. These are some of the things you're going to face. You know, and it, it will help people understand that. And maybe there'll even be a joke or two in there too. <laughs> so you can't can't take it too seriously. <laughs> It's best best not to. Yeah, I find I, I find I get annoyed with myself when I take myself seriously. So I'm sure I know the people. I'm always my my P two Rob. I'm always having a go at him because every time I look over, it's like looking at the Terminator. Just that stony face and these mirrored sunglasses. And you tell a joke and you look over and he's just kind of looking back at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's all about having fun and and I think that's one of the reasons me and James click. You know, James uh, has got a similar philosophy for me. You know, we fly for fun. That, that's what you've got to remember it's supposed to be fun um and that's one of the things we get taught on the course you know if if, if your student's struggling on a particular lesson or they've just hit a bit of a, a block you know just go and have some fun for a bit and remind remind them why they're flying brilliant so that, i absolutely that's, that's love thing. that it mirrors my mentality perfectly and i think that's why we, we're, we're such a good fit and i think uh, i think we there's a lot of good things to come at attitude airsports so Brilliant. Well, I look very forward to seeing what comes down the pipeline, and I sit waiting patiently now for uh, for tomorrow for this book to to come out. So, Danny, thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us, and uh, I wish you all the best with the book. Cheers. Thanks very much, Mike. It's been my pleasure. Brilliant. Have a good one. And you. Cheers.